All right. I'm excited about this series. I don't know about you, uh, but I think God's got a lot he wants to teach us today. And I was thinking this last week how, as a pastor, I receive a lot of backhanded compliments. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it starts out sounding pretty good, and then there's kind of a zinger at the end. So I wrote down a few of my favorites that I've had over the years. So you ready? All right. So the first one, I actually stayed awake for your whole sermon today. It's always good to hear, right? Another one, I really liked your shirt today. It's so much better than usual. (laughs) And the third one is by far my favorite. Someone came up and said, your sermon last week was the best one I've heard you preach. And I thought for a moment, and I remembered that was Pastor Jason, (laughs) who is a really good preacher, by the way. But you know, occasionally, we get maybe some things that are a little bit even more critical than that. Sometimes letters come in the mail, unsigned letters, and just let me know, any unsigned mail we get instantly goes in the shredder, all right? But there was one that made it to my desk a few weeks ago that I was kind of uh, interested in, and it started out with a nice compliment. It said, thank you for all that you do. And then I read on a little bit, and it said, there's this group of uh, retired executives who meet for coffee, and they just wanted to let me know that, you know, the only reason you would preach over 15 minutes is because of your ego. So I want to let you know today we will have a 55-minute sermon, all right? So (laughs) it's just the way it goes. (laughs) No, I'm always reminded, my grandpa, who is a preacher and evangelist, he always said, sermonettes make Christianettes. And so that's the reason we want to dig deep into God's Word Uh, And also, I just want to say, I'm not fishing for compliments. I have really, really thick skin, so this isn't about just trying to get more compliments. But I just wanted to kick off our series today on criticism, because I think every one of us, regardless of what we do in life, regardless of where we go, we're going to face criticism, right? We're going to have critical people. We're going to have negativity. We're going to have cynicism. So we're kicking off this series called Relational Vampires, and it's based on a series that was done at Life Church down in Oklahoma City. And the heart behind this series is to help us learn to love other people better. Because really, that's one of our main job descriptions as Christians. It's to love others well. The Bible says, God first loved us, so we should go and love other people. But would you agree with me that there are some people that are a whole lot harder to love than others? Anybody identify with that? Maybe somebody under your own roof. Maybe someone you see at work every day. Maybe someone at school. There are just some people who are way, way harder to love. So this series is called Relational Vampires which I think is a a pretty intriguing title. Now, I don't know a lot about vampires, but I know a couple things. First of all, what does a vampire try to do? They try to suck your blood, right? And so a relational vampire is someone who sucks the life out of you. Do you know anyone like that? Like once you're around them, they completely drain all your energy. You know, someone who it seems like kind of walks around with a dark cloud over them, And after you're with them a while, like that cloud transfers to you, sometimes there are those people who are hard to love and they suck the life out of us. Now, another thing about vampires, that at least uh, I think is true, is that when you're bit by a vampire, oftentimes you yourself become a vampire. 
It's those times when you feel like you're having a good day, everything's going well, you have a positive outlook, but then that certain person comes along and you have a conversation and suddenly you are negative and cynical about everything because that's all you got from them. And so we have to be careful about how are we being affected by those negative people around us. So all through this series, during the month of May, we're going to look at different types of relational vampires. And what the Bible has to say about that, and another important part, we're going to try to look inside ourselves and see these qualities where they might be rising up within us. So today, as I said before, we're going to talk about critical people. And I think every one of us would say we have experience dealing with critical people. You know, maybe there's someone in your life, someone that's really close to you, who basically believes they have the spiritual gift of criticism. Do you know anyone like that? You know, it could be your boss. Maybe all the feedback you ever get at work is how horrible everything is going, how you can't do anything right. They never point out anything positive at all. Now, for others, maybe it's your parents. Maybe you're 40, 50 years old, and you still get criticized by your parents. You know, you're spending your money wrong. You have the wrong priorities. You're not parenting the right way. Sometimes we face a lot of criticism in our families. For others, you might say, well, you know, it's my spouse. My spouse is so critical of me. You know, always, you know, complaining about how you put the dishes in the dishwasher or not putting your clothes away or how you're never on time. Every one of us faces criticism from people in our life. Now, also, Aristotle is quoted as saying, to avoid criticism, do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. You see, once you decide to move forward in any part of your life, whenever you decide to step up and take leadership in any part of life, whenever you even express an idea, you're going to face criticism. It's the way it goes. The only way to avoid criticism is to sit at home and to do nothing. Now, understand what this means. It means when you decide to follow Jesus and to take your faith seriously, you're going to face criticism from the world, maybe people in your family even. I mean, why are you going to church on a Sunday or a Thursday night? Why why are you serving and volunteering and giving your time? Why would you give your money? When you decide to follow Jesus, you're going to face criticism. Now, that also goes for us as a church. When a church decides to follow Christ's mission, when we decide to take his word seriously, we're going to face criticism. When we decide that it's more important to reach out than to just be comfortable inside, we're going to be criticized, but oftentimes we're going to face the most criticism from people already inside the church who just like the way it used to be, who just want to be comfortable. So anytime we decide to start moving forward, we just have to expect that we're going to face criticism. So the question for us today is how do we respond to critical people? How do we respond to negative people? When we feel overwhelmed by criticism, when someone gets on our back and really starts to get at us, how do we best respond to critical people? So if you open up your bulletin, there's an outline for the message today where you can take some notes, and I just want to point out, those who take notes will be first in the kingdom of God, all right? So it's just just a spiritual truth that we want to point out today. Do with it what you will. (laughs) So how do we best respond to critical people? Number one, 
oftentimes you don't respond at all. Oftentimes, you don't respond at all. Just because someone sends you a critical email, someone pops a letter in the mail, just because someone has a critical word for you, doesn't mean you need to respond at all. But you know, our first instinct as human beings is to oftentimes respond and up the ante. You ever feel that way? Like someone sends you a critical email and you're like, I will show you. I'm going to respond to everything you said and I'm going to take it up a notch and say what I think of you. Now the thing is, it feels really good to write those emails, doesn't it? Like you can write and you have all the perfect wording and you're like, this is going to be so awesome. And you hit send and it feels good for about 15 seconds. But does it ever help the situation? Does it ever really solve anything at all? No, usually that just makes it worse, right? Oftentimes, the best thing you can do when you get that critical email or voicemail, sit down, write the email exactly how you want to write it, but instead of hitting send, hit delete. Sometimes, oftentimes, you don't need to respond at all. Now, we just celebrated the most important week in all of history, and we trace this journey where Jesus went from entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and he's exalted and he's praised, all the way to Good Friday where he's put on trial and he is executed on a cross, and then Easter Sunday where he rises again and he's defeated death and sin once and for all. It's an amazing story. But if we go back to Good Friday... Jesus has had criticism, and he's had critical people all throughout his ministry, especially the religious elites. They don't like him at all. He always is making the wrong decisions in their eyes. He's not following their rules. He's always eating and associating with the wrong people, and so they want to get rid of him. So on Good Friday, they figure it's over. We've got him. He's going to be put to death on the cross. But even that's not good enough because we're told in the story that a bunch of them show up as he's hanging on the cross, agonizing in pain, and they decide to heckle him, and they decide to insult him, and they try to humiliate him. Now think for a moment, Jesus is God. He could have hit eject anytime and come down and said, I'm going to show you who's boss or even better, he could have had the greatest comeback in the history of comebacks. He could have said, you know, bring it on. In some time in the future, you're going to be standing before me on judgment day and then see how well it goes. But look at what Peter says about it in 1 Peter. Peter points out, he did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He didn't retaliate. He didn't defend himself. He didn't up the ante. He didn't respond at all. He just left it up to God to deal with it. He trusted that God's got it. And he focused on the mission at hand which was a mission of love and grace. He was giving his life for you and for me. Even criticism couldn't knock him off mission. Proverbs 19.11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Before you go ballistic, before you jump to the defensive, before you escalate everything, 
maybe the wisest thing you can do is to be patient and calm and really what that last part of that proverb is saying. To overlook an offense simply means to let it go. Maybe the best thing you could do in the moment is go pop in the movie Frozen and listen to that song, Let It Go, for the 20 millionth time. It is to your glory to overlook the offense. Now, this doesn't mean you have to pretend like everything's okay. It doesn't mean you have to be a doormat and let people walk all over you. What it means, though, is it's not beneficial, it's not good to let those negative and critical things stick with you. Just let them roll off. Trust it up to God. When I was pastoring another church, one day I received one of the meanest emails I've ever gotten, had all sorts of accusations and assumptions, and it just made my heart sink to read it. It was so hurtful. And so right away, I started to write the perfect response. It was like bullet point after bullet point, taking apart every aspect of that email. But before I sent it, I reached out to my wife and to our small group. And I kind of said what was going on, and I shared the email. And every one of them said, choose the high ground. It's not worth sending it. You know what? We don't have to answer every one of our critics Because ultimately, we answer to God and God alone. So oftentimes, you don't respond at all when you have a critic. But number two, sometimes you respond very carefully. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. There is a big difference between reacting and responding. A big difference between reacting and responding. You see, reacting is emotional. And when you get criticized, typically our emotions rise up. And typically we get defensive and we get angry and we want vengeance. Responding, though, is thoughtful and it's intentional and it's careful and it's full of wisdom and it's led by the Spirit. See, we always need to make sure that we're not simply reacting with emotion but we're actually responding with great intentionality. There's a story about this in the Old Testament. It's a story about a guy named Gideon. Many of you have read about Gideon. He was a great leader and a great warrior. And at one point, he's got a group of people who are not happy with him at all. This is in Judges chapter 8, verse 1. It's this group of people called the Ephraimites. And they ask Gideon, why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when you went to fight Midian? And they challenged him vigorously. Another translation of that would say, they criticized him sharply. See, the problem is, they are going into battle. And Gideon asked the Ephraimites to stay back and to complete the harvest of the vineyards. So they're just there picking a bunch of grapes. And they get to watch all these other guys go in to battle and receive all the glory. And they're not happy with Gideon. They're like, why did you leave us behind? We wanted to be on the front lines. But look at verse 2. Gideon says, or he, but he answered them. He doesn't get defensive. He doesn't pull rank and say, hey, I'm in charge. Don't question me. He doesn't lose his cool. If you read on, he explains what was happening. And he explains that they played a key role in the victory. That in fact, after the battle, as the opponents are fleeing, they fled 
into that vineyard. And so the Ephraimites were in perfect position to capture the leaders. Gideon tells them, you guys were a key role. You were an integral part of God's plans. And so in verse 3, it says, when the men of Ephraim heard Gideon's answer, they were no longer angry. Sometimes responding with a thoughtful, rational answer, not getting defensive, not making it personal, can change everything. Sometimes you can help the other person understand your perspective. Maybe they can see you have a great reason for doing what you did, that you sought the Lord, that you were prayerful about it. You know, when someone criticizes you, a path you took, a choice you made, a value you hold dear, a calm, careful response oftentimes can clear up the misunderstanding. When you can help them see the why instead of just focusing on the how, everything can change. But there are those times when a critic goes over the top. Maybe a friend takes out all their frustrations on you. Maybe a coworker chooses to throw you under the bus. Maybe your spouse just picks at you constantly. Maybe something you really value is torn apart, uh, torn apart by someone. In the heat of the moment, remember, it's always okay to wait to respond. You see, when your emotions are high, your wisdom is typically low. When you're driven by your emotions, it's really hard to be spirit-led. So maybe you need to take some time to cool down, Pray about it. Get a fresh perspective. Personally, my policy is I always wait at least 24 hours before responding to any critical email or voicemail. 24 hours to just let it sit. And oftentimes what I like to do is try to respond in a more personal way than I receive the criticism. So if someone sends a critical email, I want to call them on the phone and talk to them. If someone leaves a critical voicemail, I want to invite them to have coffee so we can meet face-to-face. Because oftentimes that personal connection is what helps de-escalate the situation. One more important thing to remember, though. Most often, the criticism isn't actually about you at all. You've probably heard the phrase before, hurt people hurt people. The most angry and critical people are most likely hurting personally for some reason. I mean, think about it. Happy, well-adjusted people don't spend a lot of time sending critical, angry emails, right? They just don't spend their time on that. Most happy, well-adjusted people don't go on Facebook and post negative comments again and again and again. Most happy, well-adjusted people don't look for the worst in other people and then have to point it out. They don't spend a lot of time complaining because they're looking for positives. When you find someone, when you encounter someone who's critical and full of anger and cynicism, try to remind yourself that they're probably dealing with pain and hurt in their own life. Try to respond first with compassion and patience instead of defensiveness and anger. No, I fully admit that this is way easier said than done. But you know what? It's part of the fruits of the Spirit. Patience and gentleness and kindness and self-control. And so as we grow in our faith and our connection with Jesus, as we let the Spirit work through us, these things become 
easier and easier, little by little. So oftentimes, when you get criticism, you don't respond at all. Sometimes, you, you respond very carefully. Occasionally, you listen and make a change. There are those times when your critics might be right. If everyone close to you tries to tell you you have a problem with something, you know, you're working way too many hours, you're drinking way too much, if everyone around you is telling you the same thing, you should probably listen. If everyone close to you is telling you you are dating the wrong person, you probably should listen. If your spouse who loves you says, you know what, you are on your phone or your computer way too much. Not that that ever happens to me like a hundred times a day. Maybe it would be good to listen. But I think there's something that each one of these situations has in common. And that's that there's a relationship first. When we have a relationship with someone, when we know that they care about us, well, then they can much better speak into our lives because there's that basis of trust, that foundation. You know, when someone I don't know at all tries to criticize something about me, I have a really hard time listening to that. But when someone who I know cares about me takes the time to share a concern, I need to be open to listening to that. There's a powerful proverb in Proverbs 15 that says, if you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home with the wise. But if you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. You have people who love you and care about you. It's important to listen to them. You can learn and become better if you're open to feedback. You know, over the years, I've become a much better preacher and pastor because I've been open to feedback from people who care about me and who've taken the time to help me get better. I remember at my very first church, just a couple years out of seminary, a friend of mine came up and he said, did you know that you have a filler phrase when you preach that you use again and again? And I'm like, no, I didn't know that, and I don't know what a filler phrase is. He said, every time you don't know what you're going to say next. Every time you need a transition, you always default to saying, and things like that, and then trail off. I'm like, I'd never say that. I don't even know what that is. So I went and checked out the video, and I think I said it 25 times in the sermon I looked at. And I was so proud of myself that I don't say, mm and ah, I got those out. But because he took the time to point it out, and he did it in love and concern, I was able to hopefully work through that. So come and tell me if it's ever coming back. You see, every one of us has blind spots. Every one of us has areas of our life that we could get better in if we would listen to constructive criticism. So how do you respond to a critic? Oftentimes, you don't respond at all. Sometimes, you respond very carefully. Occasionally, you listen, and you make a change. Finally, number four, always guard your heart. Always guard your heart. Proverbs 12, 18 says, Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Some people make cutting remarks. You see, the reality is there are critical people around us, and they are going to say cutting things, and we need to know how to respond in a healthy way. But on the flip side, every one of us, because we're human beings, because we're broken people, we are prone 
to becoming critical of others. There are certain situations that we simply won't let pass by. I can't believe she wore that outfit. My boss is so incompetent. That coach should be fired. She is so self-centered. I can't believe her social media. Also, it's so easy to come to church and become a critic. Have you ever noticed that? It's so easy to come here week after week and figure we're kind of like a movie critic for the newspaper. You know, come in with a mental scorecard. Well, I like two out of the three songs. The sermon was below average, and I can't believe that happened. And what in the world? A game? What's going on? It's so easy for us to come to worship and think we are critics. We need to resist that temptation because we are not called to be critics. We're called to be servants. You see, servants are about others. Servants focus on how we can reach out to bring other people in. When we come in and we are critical and negative and we just put a mental scorecard together, we miss out on what God has for us. Because God has you here for a reason. He has something he wants to communicate into your heart and into your life. And when you're simply a critic, you miss out on what God has for you. Harvard Business Review did a study trying to figure out what, what makes the best teams tick. And one of the things they found in their study is that there is a certain ratio in the most effective teams, whether it's in a business or a nonprofit, the most effective teams have this ratio of positive to negative comments. And they found out the ideal ratio is five positive comments to every one negative or critical comment, or more. But as they did their study, what they found out, the average team in the average business or nonprofit has the exact opposite ratio. One positive comment to every five or six negative or critical comments. There's a guy named John Gottman who's a relationship expert. He studies marriages. He's gotten to be so good at it that he's able to sit down with a couple and in just a few minutes, within 98% accuracy, he can predict whether or not that marriage will last just by how they talk to each other. And what he found is that in the same way, in relationships, there's a ratio, positive to negative comments. And what he found is in a marriage that has five positive to one negative or higher, that couple will always describe themselves as happy, positive, and optimistic about the future. Anything below five to one, the couple will always describe itself as troubled and that the relationship is hard and that they're uncertain about the future. Maybe you need to change the ratio in some aspect of your life. Maybe you need to change the ratio in your marriage, in your parenting, at work, at school. How many positive comments to negative and critical comments do you experience? What if you were to stop and just take a tally? I heard someone say one time, what if you just took 24 hours and said, for 24 hours, I'm not going to say anything negative or critical to anyone else. And a lot of us would be like, oh, that's kind of funny. Like, I can't imagine doing that. I mean, if I'm honest. But they said, think about it. If someone said, for 24 hours, 
don't have an alcoholic beverage. And if you said, well, I can't do that, probably have a problem, right? Well, same way, if somebody said, you know, don't eat any junk food for 24 hours, and you said, well, I can't do that, probably be a sign of a problem, right? And so if someone challenges you and says, for 24 hours, don't say anything critical or negative, and you say, I can't do that, there's probably a problem, right? Well, I think the cure for having a critical spirit, but also being sensitive to criticism, the cure is the same. And that's to stay rooted and grounded in Christ. Because it's in Jesus that we find our true identity. What he says about us matters the most. Who you are in Christ is infinitely more important than what any other person on earth thinks about you. You see, when we stay rooted and grounded in Christ and we find our identity in him, well then compliments and praise will not go to our head but also criticism and negativity won't stick in our heart. What Jesus says about you matters a whole lot more than what anyone else says. We're called to live for God first. Also, remember, every person you encounter, wherever you go, every single day, is created in the image of God. They're worthy of kindness and respect Paul talks about this in Romans 14.10. He says, so why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God, so let's stop condemning each other. Let's stop tearing each other down. Let's stop being negative and critical, and let's work to love and build people up. You know, the reality is if you want to complain about something and criticize something, you will always find something to criticize and complain about. But on the other hand, if you want to see God working and you want to be positive about something, you'll always find it. If you focus on the negative, you're going to develop a negative spirit. If you're all about being a critic, you're going to develop a critical spirit. And God will not work through a negative and critical spirit It doesn't honor him, and he doesn't honor that. One of my favorite verses in the Bible says, The joy of the Lord is our strength. Do you have the joy of the Lord? As you encounter people, do they see the joy of the Lord radiating from you? It's an important part of what the Spirit works within us. In fact, if you want to take an inventory of how you are growing in your walk with Christ, If you want to know how you're doing on your spiritual journey, there's really two really key questions. Are you more or less critical of other people? Are you more or less critical of other people? And are you more or less joyful in your everyday life? If you answer those two questions, it should give you a pretty good indication about where you are at in your spiritual journey whether or not you're growing in faith. Finally, one of our core values here at Calvary is we will believe the best about people and explain their actions in the best way. What if we actually lived this out? What if we made a covenant to treat others this way? We're going to believe the best about people. We're going to explain their actions in the best way. We're not going to assume the worst. 
What if we decided to be positive instead of negative? What if we lived that core value out before we hit send on an email? Before we popped a letter in the mail? Before we made the phone call? Before we said any words to any other person? Church, let's focus on building others up. Let's focus on loving others. Let's focus on encouraging others. Because that's precisely what Jesus calls us to do. Amen?